We are in a series of lessons called Move, in which we're looking at the life of David, the character in the Old Testament about which more is written than the other character, and about or by whom more is written than probably any other character, in that he authored so many, over 70, of the Psalms. Now, we began our study a couple of weeks ago after we had some kind of introductory lessons by looking at the anointing of David by Samuel, found in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We followed that last week with a lesson on the 23rd Psalm, which is the way this series is working, in that we will look at an event in David's life, and then we'll look at a psalm which is related to that event. Now, let me say a word about last week's lesson. Last week's lesson was an an attempt to kind of link the anointing of David with the 23rd Psalm. I stated in that sermon at the beginning that I was going to be sharing with you, at least in that particular lesson, an opinion I had. Uh, Psalms doesn't identify up in the heading the, the circumstances surrounding why David composed it. The rest of them that we'll be looking at actually does that. They're called historical psalms. But one of the things I want to remind you that when we do Bible study is that the Bible isn't written like a lot of writings that we read today. The Bible at its very heart is theology. Now, oftentimes it's presented in forms of biographies, stories about characters, oftentimes in the form of law, the Torah, Sometimes in the form of wisdom, the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And then, of course, you have the prophetic books. And you have to read all of those differently. You need to understand that. And when you get the historical narrative, one thing to understand is that there's always a theological text behind it, theological story. God's trying to say something to us. One of the things you have to do when you're reading historical data is you have to read between the lines. Everybody does that. I mean, if you're reading the text, you're reading between the lines. And to help you read between the lines, you need to know as much about the story as you can. It's kind of like me walking in the house, listening to June on a phone conversation. Now, if it's 3.30 in the afternoon or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I know who probably June is talking to. And then if I hear June make a couple of comments, I know who June's talking to. And I can actually fill in and read between the lines because, first of all, I know June. And I also know that in the afternoon, she always calls her sister. And so I'm able to read in between the lines what they're talking about. That's what we have to do in the Bible. And all of us do that. And so, yes, sometimes I express opinion. But it's the best opinion I have based on my understanding of the text. And I hope it will be helpful as we go through this series. Now, following the anointing of of David, the text moves very rapidly. Uh, You get into chapter 17, 18, 19, and basically the writer of 1 Samuel, what he does is he crunches a lot of information in a very short period of time. Now, in reality, it probably occurred over a period of two to three years. But as we read it, it appears as if it's happening very quickly. And so realize that as we go into it. Now, we're going to move today to another thing about David that you learn and that we all are kind of familiar with, and that is that not only was David a shepherd, he also was an accomplished 
musician. Now, between now and next week, I hope you'll read Psalm 59. If you need to jot that down, do so. Psalm 59, because that will be the text that we'll be looking at coming out of our text today. I can see David as a shepherd boy with the sheep out grazing in the pasture. And what is he doing? He's learning how to play the lyre. And that's what you see here is what's called a lyre. It's not a harp, uh, something that would have sounded very much like a guitar today. And so he's learning how to play that lyre, and over time, he becomes quite good at it. Well, it's that becoming quite good that introduces how David gets to know King Saul. There's two texts, in fact, this one at the end of 16, and then chapter 17, that shows how David and Saul got to know each other. Now, in this particular instance, we'll see in a moment what takes place. Now, the key verse for today is James 4, 6. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And what is happening here in these chapters in 1 Samuel is that God is going to start putting Saul down, opposing Saul, because he's arrogant. He's not willing to follow him, to obey him, as he lifts up the humble shepherd boy. Now, we finished last week with 1 Samuel 16, 13. And this is one of the key texts in understanding the next several chapters of this particular book. Notice the underlined part. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Watch the next verse. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And an evil, some translations say harmful, tormenting. I like the way Eugene Peterson in the message says, a, a black mood came upon him distressing spirit. We really don't know what this is. I mean, we don't know if it was some type of, you know, good spirit that's tormenting him. We don't know if Satan's using an evil spirit to try and tempt him. Or we don't know if if Saul's returned to his old spirit and that that's become darker as he has grown older and rejected God. We really don't know. But notice that these two are being contrasted. you got David with the Spirit of God, Saul with this tormenting spirit that comes upon him. Now, because of the tormenting spirit, Saul goes through some very difficult times, dark times in his life. And some of his men are sitting there and they're trying to figure out, how do we help the king? I mean, he's in a bad place. And one of his men said, you know what? I heard a guy down in Bethlehem recently. He's a shepherd down there. And this kid can play a lyre unlike anybody I've ever heard. What what if we get him to come up here, and when the king gets in these dark moods, he can play for him and maybe soothe him down? Now, we all know the power of music. I mean, y'all think about it. Movies wouldn't be movies without the music behind them. For instance, one of my favorite movies of all time, Rocky. Right? You take that song out and that movie's gone. It doesn't work. Him running along the piers or running up the stairs there in Philadelphia don't work without the music. Or John Micah's favorite movie, Star Wars. I mean, again, it makes the movie. You know it when the music starts playing. Music has a profound effect on us. And they knew it did even back... 3,000 years ago. And so David is enlisted to come up to Gibeah. Gibeah is about 10 miles north of Bethlehem. 
You got Bethlehem in the south, Jerusalem in the middle, which is still controlled by the Jebusites. In other words, the Canaanites still have the city of Jerusalem. And then you got the capital of Israel, Gibeah, just to the north. And so David starts making trips up there playing for Saul. Now, one of the things you need to realize is I don't think Saul really knew who David was. In fact, he asked someone, who is this? And the person said, well, this is one of the sons of Jesse down in Bethlehem. And and the first thing when I read that I thought of is, is Blake, like when you go back to see your mom and dad. And your mom and dad will say, Blake, you remember Miss Smith? Used to live down the road from us. And you'll go, no, Mom, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, you remember Miss Smith. I mean, I think that's kind of the response that was going here. David keeps coming back. Saul's in a very dark place at these moments. The music is happening. At some point, he finally says, I tell you what, let's make David one of my armor bearers. I need to pay him off. I need to, uh, you know, reward him in some way for playing music for me. Now, again, I don't think if David walked in that Saul would have had a clue to who he was. Saul's in his mid-50s at this time. David is probably 16, 17 years old. And yes, he's playing the music, but if you've ever had a migraine, you probably don't want to be talking or, or noticing or engaging anyone. I suspect that was Saul. And so Saul's invited to be an armor bearer. Now, you need to understand something about armor bearers. Armor bearers were simply people who would kind of come into the military service as an apprentice, kind of like ROTC today. And and a king would have a bunch of these guys. I mean, Joab, later on in the text, he has in one battle ten armor bearers with him. These are guys who carried their swords, they carried their supplies, they carried their shields. I mean, these were just assistants. And so David gets an invitation. How about coming and being one of Saul's armor bearers? But all the time, he's still going back to Bethlehem, 10 miles away, to keep the sheep. All right? Now, get all that in your mind. That is the last part of 16. And then 1 Samuel 17. Without a doubt, the most familiar text to everybody in here, probably about David. You're like, I don't know what 1 Samuel 17 is about. Yes, you do. It's about a guy named Goliath. And and Saul had basically gone into war again with the Philistines. David is down in, in Bethlehem. He's back home taking care of the sheep. They basically have lined up against each other in the Valley of Elah. The Israelites on one hill, the Philistines on the other. And no one is moving because... This guy keeps coming out and saying, let's, instead of everybody just killing one another, why don't you send out your best guy? We'll fight. If he wins, we'll serve you. If I win, I'll serve, you know, y'all will serve us. Now, there was only one problem with Goliath. And the best way I know to illustrate it is Capital One commercial. Y'all seen this one right here? Kaplan one where some kids are playing, you know, pick up basketball. They're, you know, out at the park, and, and they're fixing to choose up teams. And so you got the, you know, fifth or sixth graders here. And then this is who they're choosing from. Yeah, Charles Barkley is right in the middle of them. And the girl's got first choice, and she's looking at these four. And, man, I want to tell you something. You look at that, and, and she says, I'll go with Charles Barkley. And Barkley went, I knew I'd be picked first. I mean, I still got it. Yeah, when you're that tall. You know, and that was Goliath. 
Well, one of the things you find is that David is sent to find out how his brothers are. His brothers are fighting in the army. And so Jesse sends him up there with some supplies, and he gets there, and he's listening to everybody because he's like, why isn't there fighting going on? And then Goliath comes out and makes this big boast about, you know, who's going to come out and take me on? And David is like, what's going on? And somebody tells David, said, well, listen, the king, he's, he's trying to get somebody to go out there and face Goliath. He's going to give great wealth. He's going to give his daughter in marriage. He's going to exempt his family from taxes. I mean, you look at the reward, and you're like, wow. And then you look at Goliath, and you go, no way. And that's where another pastime of David came in. You see, not only could David play the liar, but while he's out there in the fields, he's also learned how to throw a sling. Now, this is not the slingshot like a lot of us had as kids growing up. This was two pieces of leather, leather pouch in the middle that would hold a stone. There was usually a kind of a uh, notice there at the end of one of the uh, straps there. You got it where it goes around the wrist. It's tied off. And you would basically put a rock in this thing, and you'd take and and, and twirl it over your head, releasing it, and, and that rock would come out. And if you can imagine being hit in the head by a major league baseball pitcher. You can just picture that scene. 96-mile-an-hour fastball. You're going to go down. I promise you. That's why they wear those helmets they do when they're up batting. And so David goes out. You know, there's a lot to the story that I'm, I'm skipping here. But he goes out. He hits Goliath right in the forehead with that stone and then takes his own sword and chops his head off. And David is instant celebrity. Instant. What follows in 18 and then the beginning of 19 is, like I said, crutched together probably a couple of years. But right off the bat, they bring David to Saul. Saul says, who in the world is this kid? Well, he's the son of Jesse. He's the one who's been playing your music for you. Oh. And Jonathan, Saul's oldest son, Boy, after witnessing what he saw, he's like, man, this kid is absolutely afraid of nothing. And they quickly become best friends. Now, that's going to play in the story. You've got to watch as it plays in the story. And so Saul instantly says, man, take this kid, put him in the army, put people underneath him, and send him out on missions. And so David, here he is, 17, maybe 18 years old, and he's now going out on missions against the Philistines. And the text simply tells us that everything he did was successful. So good was David that before long, Saul gives him a high rank in the army, and the troops and the other officers, they're kind of like, man, this David guy is fantastic. I mean, we struggle with the Philistines. I mean, he goes through them like, you know, a hot knife through butter. And so now you kind of see where things are fixing to take place. And then one day it happened. They had been out fighting. Saul had been out with them. It was sometime after David had killed the Philistines. You need to put that in parentheses. This is not immediately after David had killed Goliath, but sometime after he had killed Goliath. And so Saul and the army's coming back from an engagement with the Philistines, and there's a new number one hit on the top Billboard 100. 
I mean, it's a song that everybody, all the girls come out and they're dancing and they've got their timbrels and their lyres and man, there's a party going on and Saul hears the words to the song. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And all at once Saul said, can you sing that again? No, no, you need to stop. I don't want to hear any more. I mean, what everybody else thought was a number one hit, Saul came unglued. The text says he was very angry. And he said, what more can he get but the kingdom? And something happens right here that, that we need to realize. From that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David, basically what we call the green-eyed monster, jealousy raised this ugly head. I don't know about you, but I suspect all of us have experienced it. We've either been guilty of it, or we've been the recipient of it. Maybe at the office, maybe in your family, maybe among your parents. You know, as I got older, I've got a younger brother and a younger sister, and my dad passed away many, many years ago. But as... We, we progressed with my mom as she was aging. My brother and sister both called me the golden child. You know, they would say, you know your mom's favorite. And I'd go, no, I, okay, yes I am. All right, you know, it's just the way it happens sometimes in families. It happens in, in church sometimes. Watch what took place with Saul. What you do if you follow the rest of 18 is that you got story after story rapidly showing what happens when jealousy takes hold of someone. And by the way, I think this is that tormenting spirit. As as God is bringing Saul down and lifting David up, you see it all, and you see how Satan is working at the same time to destroy Saul. The first thing you see is rage. I mean, how many times when, when something happens like what had happened there where the wrong song is being played, where all at once someone with jealousy just blows up in front of you? I've experienced it. I suspect you have too. And and what happens was the next day, the very next day after they came in from battle, the evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. In other words, he went into a deep depression. I suspect the song had triggered it. And then notice what's happened. While David was playing the lyre as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Now, y'all, that last sentence doesn't make any sense to me. There's an old saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. And so you're asking yourself, why in the world would David stay in there after the first spear went right by his head? And my guess is, is that David realizes Saul's in a dark place. Saul's, you know, this this king's not himself. And not only that, David's young, he's quick, he's like, I can dodge his spears. As long as I see them coming, I can get away from them. But he dodges them twice. And you see very quickly now what has happened because of jealousy as it erupts. And so the next thing that Saul does is he says, all right, I I want him out of here. And so he basically assigns David a role in the army that takes him far away. Only problem is, 
He's got a thousand men under him, and the campaigns he's leading are still the newspaper headlines every day. David, victorious again. And Saul's going, well, that didn't work. So he moves to number three, which I've got to figure out how to, how do I take him down? So he came up with a, a, a plan. Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you in marriage, only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. Now, do you see where he's going with this one? I'll let you marry into my family. I'll give you my oldest daughter. But you've got to get out in the forefront of these battles we're fighting with the Philistines. And notice the last line there. He says to himself, I'll let the Philistines take care of it. So you see Saul as he's beginning to go deeper and deeper into sin. As he's trying to find a way to get rid of his rival. Well, the next plan he had was broken promises. Wedding day was coming up. Saul, Saul, you know, had promised David he would give Merab to him. And David's like, I'm going to be the the king's son-in-law. Man alive! And then watch what happens. So when the time came for Merab, Saul's daughter, to be given to David... She was given in marriage to Adriel of Mahola. I mean, I, I've performed a lot of marriages. I've never seen that one. <laughs> uh, where's the bride? Uh, somebody comes running in going, well, she's at another church getting married over there. I mean, if you can just imagine that in your mind. Now, now again, these marriages were arranged marriages. They weren't marriages because of love, at least not yet. But you see, every time you turn around, what's Saul doing? Saul is sitting there conniving, striving, planning, scheming, trying to figure out, how do I take this young man down? And all the time going deeper and deeper into the green-eyed monster. He then decided, i tell you what, I'll, I'll just manipulate the process, and I'll lie to him, and I'll get him. And so he goes with a second daughter that he had. Saul ordered his attendants, notice here, speak to David privately and say, look, the king likes you, and his attendants all love you. Now become his son-in-law. Now, I think it's funny that someone would come to you and say, by the way, the king likes you, really? You know, he threw two spears at me the other day. Yeah, but he was just depressed. You know, sometimes he gets that way. But anyway, they go and they tell David this. And David says, do you think it's a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? First of all, I'm poor. David, you know, I mean, he's from a large family down in Bethlehem. Jesse's still alive. He's not inherited anything. David doesn't have any money. He's serving at the, you know, at the request of the king. And then they came up with a plan. And that was, let's put scheming 2.0 into effect. So when the servants reported David's response to Saul, he told them to tell David this. The king isn't expecting any money from you. Only this, go kill a hundred Philistines and bring evidence of your vengeance on the king's behalf. Avenge the king of his enemies. And then it says in the text, Saul expected David to be killed in action. In other words, David, here's all you got to do. Go kill 100 Philistines, bring evidence that you've killed them, and then I'll give you my daughter. And so sure enough, that's what they do. Except when David comes back, he's not only got evidence of 100 Philistines, he's killed 200 Philistines. And every time, Saul is sitting there going, I can't win. No, you can't. Not when you're driven by jealousy. It simply doesn't work. 
And so then Saul gave his daughter Michael in marriage. And when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him. And he remained his enemy the rest of his days. I mean, Saul's sitting there and McCall is now married to David. Jonathan, his oldest son, is David's best friend. All the army officers absolutely love him. I mean, and God's saying, yeah, it's what happens when you reject me and I reject you. And so Saul finally said, I've had enough. Kill him. And I want you to notice there, Saul told his son Jonathan. He begins with Jonathan, you kill David. And so Jonathan goes to David and said, listen, I've got bad news for you. Dad, Dad's out to kill you. I think it's because he's in a bad mood. Let me see if I can talk to him. And so they arranged to that. Saul listened to Jonathan. I mean, Jonathan went to his dad and said, Dad, why in the world are you trying to kill David? This doesn't make any sense. He's winning battles for us. He's your son-in-law. Everybody loves him. What's wrong with you? And Saul finally says to Jonathan, his oldest son, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. I'll not kill him. And of course we know where that went. Because the last one's no regard for God or his name. You see, finally, Saul decided, I've got to take him out. And so, notice the text. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. Chapter 19 is the basis of this Psalm 59 that we'll look at next week. But put very simple, it was a situation of where McCall is placed in an awful predicament. Daughter of Saul, husband, uh, excuse me, wife of David. And so McCall comes to David and says, David, I've got some bad news for you. Dad's fixing to kill you. He's got men outside our apartment right now. And in the morning, they're going to arrest you, take you in front of Saul, and you'll be executed. And so she says to him, you got to get out, and you got to get out now. And so she lets David down, notice verse 12, down through a window, and he fled and escaped. And then McCall took an idol. They had back then what they call these household idols. And I don't know if these had been captured from the Canaanites or not, but McCall had one in their apartment. And so she takes this idol, she puts it in the bed, she takes goat hair and put it for the hair, for the, uh, hair of David, and so when the soldier sold up the next morning to arrest him, she said, David's sick. You know, he's in bed. He, he, he can't get up right now. And so the soldiers go back to Saul, and they said, listen, he's sick. And Saul said, he's sick. Bring the bed, for heaven's sakes. I want him dead. And so they go back, and of course, when they go to the bed, it's an idol covered up with goat hair as the head. Then Saul sent the men back, bring him up to me in the bed so that I may kill him. Jealousy. Jealousy at its worst. You know, in John chapter 8, Jesus says something that the Jews that were listening to him had a hard time understanding. To the Jews who, at least to some degree, believed on him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you'll really be my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They instantly replied, We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone how can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus' response is one of the most important responses that all of us need to hear. And that is, the truth is everyone who sins is a slave. A slave to sin. 
And that's what you see in the story. Is you see David as he is becoming closer and closer to God. And what's happening is Saul. Saul is being entangled more in the webs of sin than ever before. He's becoming a slave to it. And he'll literally be a slave to it to the day he dies. And that's how Satan works. Satan works to scheme, to plan, to do whatever it takes to bring us down, to draw us away from God. And if there's a lesson we can learn from this text here in 1 Samuel today is that when we move, be sure you're moving toward God and not away from Him. Because when you move away from Him, sin has a way of getting its grip on you and sometimes never letting go. The invitation of God is always a very simple invitation. And that is, humble yourself before God and He will lift you up. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful text and, and God, in your word, Father, in, in 1 Samuel and the story of David. And, and Father, as we see what happened to Saul and how sin took a hold of his life and destroyed it, we pray, Father, that we will be people like David who instead will turn to you and allow you to lift us up, allow you to protect us, allow you to bless us. Father, help us to trust in you and you alone. We pray in Jesus Christ.